I have decided to read uh, two chapters of Genesis about the story of Hagar. As we're making our way through this summer sermon series on Genesis, we're looking at different characters. And so I want to divide the reading up. And the first chapter is Genesis 16. And this is a sermon that will focus on all of the characters involved, but primarily on character Hagar. So hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and Hagar ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, a spring on the way to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man. With his hand, everyone and everyone's hand against him, he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are Elroy. For she said, have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Beir Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
I'll continue the story of Hagar at chapter 21. In the intervening chapters, Sarah has given birth to her son, Isaac. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abram gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him. And and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, for he is your offspring. So Abraham arose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of this child. And as she sat sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water. And gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness. He became an expert in the bow. 
He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear God, shine your light that we might see and live. In the name of Christ, amen. Aretha Franklin celebrated her 75th birthday earlier this year. She was born in Memphis and learned to sing in her minister father's church in Detroit. She earned the title the Queen of Soul after reaching commercial success with Atlantic commercial success with Atlantic Records in 1967 when she recorded in one year You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, Think and Respect. Many of us are familiar with this latter song. What you want, baby, I got it. All I'm asking is for a little respect when you get home, just a little bit. If I were Casey, I would sing it, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Then R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, I've got to have just a little bit. A little bit of respect. I've got to have it. That's all I need. When I reheard this song a few weeks ago, it struck me as an appropriate theme for the complicated interactions between Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and the God who brings them their respective sons, Isaac and Ishmael. When we first read this story, which is spread across Genesis 16 and 21, the book on which we are spending time this summer, it is hard to garner much respect for any of the adults in this story, for the flaws of each are on full display. In chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah are ten years beyond the time that God has promised them a child, an essential component of the promise of land, descendants, and blessings that God has made to them as patriarch and matriarch of the people of Israel. Sarah blames herself and God for her infertility, a not uncommon tendency among women seeking to conceive but having difficulty doing so. Yet Sarah's self-blame overlooks the fact that Abraham's 85 years of age may have had something to do with her difficulty conceiving. To ensure that God's promise will in fact be fulfilled, Sarah takes matters into her own hand and says to Abraham, Go into my slave girl so that I may obtain children by her. Abraham listens to the voice of Sarah and takes Hagar the Egyptian slave, as wife. When Hagar's pregnancy test comes back positive, Hagar looks with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah then glares at Abraham. May the wrong done to me be on you. Abraham responds, Your slave girl is in your power. Do with her as you wish. 
Now, just as we know few of the details of what Otto Warmbier suffered at the hands of the North Koreans, the narrator of Genesis mercifully shields us from the details of Hagar's mistreatment at the hands of Sarah. Other than to say that the mistreatment is sufficient that she runs away. An angel of the Lord finds Hagar, tells her to go back and submit to her mistress and promises her that her her offspring will become numerous beyond counting. Hagar returns, gives birth to a son, and Abraham names him Ishmael. After ensuing events in Genesis, the narrator returns to this difficult story in chapter 21. Sarah has finally become pregnant and given birth to Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael grow up in the same household. One day, Sarah sees the two boys playing together. She cannot bear even the thought that Ishmael may receive part of the inheritance of land, descendants, and blessing that God has promised her son, Isaac. So she orders Abraham to cast Hagar and Ishmael out of the household. Unlike before, this time the narrator gives us a glimpse of Abraham's feelings. He is distressed on account of his son Ishmael. He takes the matter to God, but God tells him to do whatever Sarah says. For God asks that Sarah is correct in claiming that it is through Isaac that the promise will be fulfilled. But then God adds, I will make a great nation of Ishmael for he is your son as well. So the next morning, Abraham arises before sunrise. He takes a keg of bread and water. He gives it to Hagar. He puts Ishmael on Hagar's shoulder, and he sends them both out into the wilderness. When Hagar runs out of food and water, she casts Ishmael under a bush, And she finds a spot about the distance of a bow shot. And she sits down and prays. Do not let me look upon the death of the child, she says. And then she lifts up her voice and weeps. God hears Ishmael weep as well. God calls out to Hagar from heaven, Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come and lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, and I will make a great nation of him. God then opens Hagar's eyes, and she sees an entire well of water. And she gives Ishmael a drink. The narrator then tells us that God is with the boy, that Ishmael grows up, that he lives in the wilderness, that he marries an Egyptian woman, and that he becomes the father of the Arab peoples. 
It is through Ishmael, Hagar's son, that the religion of Islam will later trace its heritage, its lineage to Abraham, a lineage that Jews and Christians trace through Isaac. Now, as we listen to Aretha Franklin, it is hard to have a great deal of R-E-S-P-E-C-T for any of these adult characters. While we can sympathize with Abraham and Sarah for the decade that has passed since God has promised them a child, it's hard to respect Sarah when she takes matters into her own hand, gives Hagar to her husband, then twice casts Hagar out the second time with her child. While we can sympathize with Abraham for wanting both an heir and the promise of God to be fulfilled, it's hard to watch him stand by as Sarah mistreats Hagar and then himself cast Hagar and Ishmael into the hunger and thirst of the wilderness. While we have great sympathy for the horrific condition of enslavement in which Hagar lives and for the way she is forced to have a child by Abraham, we're not sure that dancing on the grave of Sarah's infertility is an appropriate response to her pregnancy, even though it is understandable. And when we are theologically and spiritually honest with ourselves, Many of us struggle to maintain our respect for God who seems to work within this situation in which slavery exists without condemning slavery, who sends an angel to order Hagar to submit back into that system, and who instructs Abraham to accede to Sarah's harsh treatment of Hagar rather than to follow his own more tender feelings. It can even become hard for us to maintain respect for the Bible as holy scripture when such a dark tale of abuse, mistreatment, and expulsion is told at such length, particularly when the main characters are God's chosen leaders. There seems to be little worthy of respect in this story. But if we think about the story further, and if we give particular consideration to Hagar, we may find some material that we can respect. Here goes. It is significant on a personal level that in a book, Genesis, that is 50 chapters long, whose subject is the origin of the entire human race and universe, two entire chapters are devoted to the story of a mistreated female slave who ultimately receives the attention and care of God. Hagar is named from the outset, something that does not always happen to mistreated outsiders in the biblical narrative. When Hagar looks with contempt on her mistress, 
She may as much as anything else be lifting a cry of protest against the system which forces her to bear a child to a man not of her own choosing. And her opposition is noticed, reported, and given voice by the narrator. When an angel of God initially orders Hagar to return to her mistress, that order comes after God has sent the angel to find Hagar, and it is accompanied by a promise promise that Hagar will become the matriarch of a nation so large that it cannot be counted. It is significant that after this visit from from the angel, Hagar actually names God Elroy, which means God sees Because contrary to the experience and belief of many others in her day, Hagar is privileged to see God and not die but live. And I learned from the children's sermon that Hagar is the only person in the Bible that names God. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Later, when Hagar is expelled from the household with her son Ishmael, It is significant that God hears the voice of her son, calls to Hagar from heaven, assures her not to be afraid, calls her to lift her son and hold him fast, promises to make of him a great nation, opens her eyes, allows her to see a well of water, enabling her her to give her son a drink of water so that he may live. And on an even broader level, it is significant that within this book that presents to the world the history and formation of the people of Israel, those who descend from Abraham and Sarah through Isaac, there is included a positive depiction and presentation of the origins of the Arab people. Those who descend from Abraham and Hagar through Ishmael. While the potential for conflict between these two nations is not papered over and is in fact explicitly mentioned, it is nonetheless clear from the narrative that Isaac and Ishmael, Israeli and Arab, and ultimately Jew, Christian and Muslim are all children of Abraham, all children of the same God, residents of the same small corner of God's vast universe. So bringing it to us and our faith, While there is plenty not to like about Abraham and Sarah in this part of their story, these are two people advanced in age wrestling with a seemingly impossible promise from a God who has chosen them, having never before chosen any mortals to lead in the formation of God's people. Abraham and Sarah do not have role models to whom to turn. They do not have mentors. 
Neither the law has been given nor prophets or sages empowered to speak. There is no weekend MBA program on how to be mother and father of faith. There is no PhD program in being the chosen people. Yet Abraham and Sarah take their flawed little selves and their flawed faith in God and they move forward. And God gives them a fair amount of freedom, a fair amount of opportunity to mess up, an opportunity they take often, much like us. But in the end, the promise of God, the promise that God has chosen them to receive and bear gets fulfilled in and through them. And so when they die, they die as they lived, blessed by God. My friends, none of the people in this book we call the Bible is without sin except one. And the book itself presents us with certain ethical dilemmas and at times violent, morally reprehensible, stomach-turning behavior on the part of the people of God. But over the years of reading and studying and teaching from this book, I find myself having entered into the lives of its characters and they having entered into my life to where both they and the book in which they appear seem so profoundly human to me with all the blessing and bane that being human involves, that both the characters in this book and the book itself have earned from me more than just a little bit of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And I always hope that that's what happens for you. Amen.